Okay, this is chapter 34 of the Science of Breakable Things. January 14, assignment 34, Team Captain. I turned, stomach dropping to my feet. I wasn't ready to face my parents, wasn't ready to be stopped. Not when I was so close. But it wasn't mom or dad standing behind me. It was Twig. I had to clap my hand to my mouth to stop a yelp of surprise from escaping. Hi, Twig whispered. Her blonde hair poked out from under a black bean. She smiled a wild Twig grin. It took me a moment to orient myself to understand that she was standing in my room in the middle of the night. Twig, how did you get here? She waved her hand through the air, swatting away my question as if it were ridiculous. I've been your best friend for years. Of course I know where your parents hide the spare key. Twig was whispering, but we all know but we all know by now that whispering is not her strength. I glanced back at my parents' bedroom, holding my breath, but the house was silent. You know about the face rock? Twig gave me a good look like duh. She was wearing all that she was wearing all black, leggings, boots, beanie, and her big puffy coat, which rusted as she moved closer to me. What's the plan? Are you ready to go? Twig I she held her hand as she physically stopped my protest. I know you told me not to come, but I'm your best friend in the whole world. I'll always be by your side. And besides, this is the best adventure ever. I'm not getting left behind. My heart was so full in the moment that I wanted to cry, but I just wrapped herself in a hug instead. Truth is, I felt better knowing that Twig was there. Twig made everything seem possible. Pulled the procedure out of my pocket and handed it to her. She scanned it quickly and looked up to her watch. Twig is pretty much the only person in seventh grade who wears a watch, and she only does it because her mom hates it. The face is big plastic Hello Kitty, and her mom calls it a travesty. If we're going to catch the 123 bus, we have to go now, and we have to run. There was no time to change into better clothes, so I pulled my big wool coat over my cat and dog pajamas, and we tiptoed out of the house, careful not to make much sound. And then we were outside in the cold night air, ready for this last unexpected phase of Operation Egg. Snow, uh, snow whirled around us, murking everything into a white haze, and I shivered as chunks of wet ice landed on my face. I breathed in the icy air, and I was ready to run when someone asked, What's the plan? I blinked through the snowy haze once, twice, and how did I not see him before? Derry, standing in front of us, fist shoved in his pocket, shoulders hunched up to his ears. He locked back and forth on his heels with his cold and discomfort. What? I said, because that was the only thing I could say. My emotions were moving too quickly. I could hardly keep track. Hopelessness, confusion, excitement, and not a hot flame of anger. What are you doing here? Guys, we have to get to the bus stop, Twig said, her words rushing together. She looked at me, eyes pleading. Derry opened his mouth to say something, but we were already late, and I took off running. I slipped and slid in the snow, but I kept my footing because to fall like fall now would be to fail. My footsteps and heart rate sounded like orchid, orchid, orchid. Twig being here felt right, but Derry threw everything off. I didn't know him well enough, not yet, and he wasn't my best friend. Everything Twig had said about the two of us felt empty now. Even though the logical side of me knew it was probably unfair, I wanted to scream at Twig for bringing Derry, for telling him about the orchid. That was something Michaela might have done, but not Twig. If we hadn't been sprinting for, uh, for the bus, I would have shouted horrible things. I would have said never mind about Operation Orchid and also maybe never mind about our friendship because how could she tell him about this? How could she bring him to the secrets and adventures that were supposed to be ours? We showed up the bus stop at 1.23 a.m. exactly. The bus wasn't there. Two minutes earlier, two minutes later, still no sign of it. No, no, Twig said once she'd stopped point panting. Think we missed it. That did not make me less angry with her. 
We missed it, she said again, because Twig had no idea when to stop. Natalie, Derry said cautiously, because unlike her, he has some sense and could tell I was upset. Twig told me about your flower. No, duh, Derry. I know I let you down this egg drop. I made those tweaks, and it was my fault we lost. But I want to make it up to you. Whatever the plan is, I want you to know I'm here. I'm in. Then he got all awkward and mumbly, and I added, because we're a team. Just as he said that, the bus turned the corner and pulled up to the stop, so I was saved from having to respond. I still don't know what I would have said. I'm glad you're here, Derry or go home. Derry or how much did Twig tell you, Derry? Because I wanted to say all of those things, but all of them were slightly wrong, too. In the end, I didn't say anything. Twig pulled bus... Twig pulled bus fare for all of us on our pocket, and the bus driver didn't bat an eye. Twig hesitated, and for the first time that night, maybe even the first time ever, I saw uncertainty in her eyes. I think both of us half expected to be stopped right there. We were so used to being stopped by adults that Think expected the driver to stand up, put his hands on his hip, and say, Excuse me, young children, but isn't it a little late for you to be on your own? Then he'd drive us back home, and, and oh well, at least we tried. Well, the driver said, smacking bright green chewing gum against his front teeth, are you getting in or not? He was tall and skinny, skinnier than dairy even. A way that looks like bones might rip through his skin with one more move. Wrong one move. We got on. Of course we got on. We were following the procedure. The only other person on the bus was a homeless man sitting near the front of the drinking, uh, front and drinking out of a paper bag bottle. So we sat down in the very back of the bus. Twig whispered to me, what kind of bus driver lets three seventh graders onto a bus in the middle of the night by themselves? But I didn't answer, because I was still mad at her, and also because I don't believe in question, questioning good luck. Twig leaned over and filled Darien on the procedure, and then we fell silent. The landscape changed around us, and bus groaned as it made us way out of the neighborhood, into streets full of broken buildings. The homeless man stared, laughing and laughing at nothing and nobody. My palms got all sweaty, and my heart beat fast, and I told myself I was just excited. This feeling, just excitement. I've ridden the bus to Lancaster University Lab once before. Years ago, when Mom's car wouldn't start and she still needed to get to work. I had sighed and jittered my knees up, up and down, up, down, so our seats shook. Because I hated being on the bus. I liked driving with Mom or Dad in the tiny private space of our car. And the bus felt wide and open and crawling with other people's lives. But Mama placed one hand on my shaky knee and said, This is our adventure, Natalie. She pointed to the woman in front of us, cradling a baby against her chest, and made up a story. That's her first child, and she named the baby Violet, because violets bloom in May. Just like that, the big bus, cramped full of other people's lives, hadn't seemed so bad anymore. Now the bus driver braked quickly for a red light, and liquid sloshed out of the homeless man's paper bag, bottle, and onto the floor. He swore loudly, and his mouth sounded filled with marbles. Hadn't even realized his legs, my legs, were shaking. I gripped my knees until they stopped. How much longer? Twig whispered, and I couldn't tell if she was asking out of excitement or impatience or fear. For the first time, I realized I couldn't read her. Tonight was the night of first for Twig, I guess. Or maybe this was just the first time I was noticing. Five more stops, Derry said. He was fiddling with something small and pink, rubbing it back and forth in his hand. Just five more stops. Count them, Twig. I realized that I realized what it was the tiny flamingo. Twig had decided to give him to him after all. Twig relaxed beside me, so I guess she had been nervous, too. I, I hated that I hadn't been the one to make him, me her feel better. We rolled past another stop where nobody got on, because nobody else in the world were awake right now. 
Except for the three of us, the bus driver and the homeless man. Twig reached out and squeezed my hand tight, and I squeezed back, and we counted the stops. Five, four, three, two, one. I reached up and tugged the yellow cord, and the bus hadn't even stopped before we were running to the front, lurching and swaying with that giant hunk of metal. Ain't it a little late for three little bits? The man said, pointing his bottle at us in accusation, but I clamped onto Twig's hand, pulled her off the bus before she could respond. The bus driver didn't say anything at all, didn't even give us a glance before cracking the door shut and roaring away. And the street was silent, and the three of us stood on the sidewalk, hugging our arms against our chests. Well, I guess we should walk to the lab now, Derry said. His jaw clenched, his face pale. I turned on, oh, sorry. I turned on my heel and started walking past the dorms and the academic buildings towards Mom's lab. Two giggling college girls in mini skirts and Ugg boots walked past us, giving us sideways glances and then giggling even harder into their hands. But they didn't question us. We kept walking. I hadn't been here in months, but I knew the way. It was etched down deep in my bones. This was kind of like coming home. I reminded myself to be excited. I reminded myself that this was a good thing.